Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. As we all move forward in light of COVID-19, we want to encourage you to make a priority of joining us in person for worship. Because as you know, listening to a podcast can never replace the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we look forward to seeing you soon. In the meantime, here is this week's message. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you in the house of the Lord today. And, uh, you know, I just, I love being a part of the body of Christ where we can laugh and enjoy worshiping together even when the slides aren't working. And I just want you to know that I never, ever, ever want to be the guy running the slides. And to those who run things in the background, we love you and we thank you because we know that is, that's a job nobody, I don't know if you realize, but nobody knows there's a sound guy or a slide person until something go right. And then it's like, whoop, let's, what's going on back there? Um, my ADD would make sure I never, ever, ever could do the slides right. And so just want to make sure we're never going to have to do that. Um, so at any rate, I'm uh, excited to be with you this morning. Um, the Sunday after Easter, there's always this kind of question. It's like, what's the right sermon after we just finished this beautiful series Pastor Brian's been taking us through uh, on the road to, to Easter? And so this morning, my original thought was, uh, well, let's, let's talk about uh, Saul on the road to Damascus. But I just wasn't really tracking with that in my heart. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at the Holy Spirit and talking very specifically about the person of the Holy Spirit. And I want to specifically zoom in in God's word on what Jesus had to say about who the Holy Spirit is, what his work is, and how we can have the Holy Spirit. And so if you're a note taker, those are going to be the three big ideas that we're going from. And if you have your Bible or if you have a Bible app, I strongly encourage you to use it. I'm going to have the scripture up here as I read it to start out with. But then from then on, it's going to be on you to track with me. And uh, I think this is some beautiful section of text. And if you have your, your Bible or, like I said, your app, it's a great place to do some underlining and highlighting and because there's a lot of great, great text here as it relates to the Holy Spirit. So let's begin in John chapter 14, John chapter 14, beginning in verse 15, going through verse 26, and then we'll go to John 16 and then Acts 1. So pretty close together, but John 14 and 16 will be our primary text. John 14, 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live in that day, you will know that I am the Father, that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest or make known myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, 
How is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said. John chapter 16, beginning verse 7 through 15. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he who comes will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they don't believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you'll see me no longer. And concerning the judgment, because the ruler of the world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, and he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. In Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. These are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. As Jesus is preparing to go to the cross, he says to his disciples, it's actually to your benefit that I go. For if I do not go, you will not receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now, the subject of the Holy Spirit is a fascinating one. I don't know what your experience and understanding of who the Holy Spirit is, but my personal experience has been that churches tend to track one of two directions. They either overemphasize who the Holy Spirit is and the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, or they underemphasize the Holy Spirit, choosing to either just talk about the Holy Spirit in terms of doctrinal term, ideas, or just not talking about the Holy Spirit at all. I had the privilege uh, in my late teens, early 20s, of getting involved in a very charismatic, um, Holy Spirit-focused church and school and got to see some things that I had, for the first time in my life, was learning and had never, ever heard about in all the years prior in my life. And so I think it's important for us to to find what I would say is the middle road on this. Um, At least that's my personal conviction, to not overemphasize, but also not to underemphasize the Holy Spirit. So this morning, we want to talk about who's the Holy Spirit, who does Jesus say he is, uh, what does the Holy Spirit do, and then how you can receive the Holy Spirit. So the who, the what, the how. So let's jump in on who the Holy Spirit is. Um, The succinct definition based off of what we've just received from Jesus' teaching here on the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is the divine person residing within every Christ follower. Now, there's a whole lot more you can say, but for the sake of of what we've just read from Jesus, the, the Holy Spirit is the divine person residing within every person who is a Christ follower. So let's start with that idea of personhood. First of all, the Holy Spirit is not in it. If you're a Star Wars fan, you probably know of the Force. 
And some people approach the Holy Spirit a bit like the force. I'm going to channel the, for, the energy of the force. And that's, not, that's not the biblical concept of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is a person, not a force. If uh, you are familiar at all with Hinduism and Buddhism, oftentimes the concept for how I can channel the energy of the universe is I need to empty my mind so that I can receive the divine energy within myself. That's not the concept of the Holy Spirit either. Because Emptying the mind is not at all what we see biblically in channeling the energy of the force. Is, this is not biblical. But sadly, I've heard Christians kind of describe it like that. And it's, it's, just not, it's just not truth. In John chapter 14, verse 17, Jesus says, The world cannot receive him because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells within you. Notice Jesus uses pronouns. In a day and age where pronouns are a big conversation, we're not going down that road. Um, Jesus, the, the pronoun is important here. Because Jesus does not say, it will come to you. He says, he, him, will, will come to you. There's, there's a pronoun describing him in personhood. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 11, the Holy Spirit, we're told, gives spiritual gifts to individuals as he wills. The Holy Spirit doesn't just have personhood. The Holy Spirit has a will, has desire, has intention in giving spiritual gifts to whoever he gives them to. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, we read that we are not to grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can grieve and experience sadness by our lifestyle, by our actions. In Hebrews 10, 29, we're told that if we continue in ongoing deliberate sin, that this outrages the Holy Spirit. There's a holy anger and outrage that the Holy Spirit experiences when we perpetuate in our sinful behaviors and attitudes. These emotions, this will, tells us the Holy Spirit is definitely a person. But not only is the Holy Spirit a person, the Holy Spirit is also God. In John 14, verse 15, Jesus says, he will give you another helper. Now, the key word here, you might want to underline this in your Bible if you're an underliner, is that word another. It's a word you might just skip right over. Jesus had two words he could have used for another here. He could have used the word um, another that means another of, a, of the same kind or another of a different kind. Heteros versus... Um, I can't think of the other word. It's gone right now. But anyways, Jesus uses the word here to say he's another of the same kind. The Father will send another one, the Holy Spirit, who is going to be like me, who's going to be like the Heavenly Father. And so we are going to receive this other helper like God himself, just like Jesus is God, just like the Father is God. And these this, this idea is, is, is significant because so many times, um, particularly when we encounter this idea of Trinity, God in three persons, do you remember that, that doctrine? We tend to kind of not be able to grasp it sometimes, so we just kind of leave it on the shelf. But this is significant because Jesus says, I'm leaving, but another one like me is coming, and the difference now is going to be, he's not just going to be with you, he's going to be in you. And he's like the Father, and he's like me. He is God. And so, as we think of the Holy Spirit, we have this one who indwells us, who's the same as Jesus. The mystery of the Trinity is God in three persons, now not just 
going to heaven, but also dwelling within us. And I don't know about you, but I can't fully wrap my head around it, but I accept this on faith. Because Jesus tells us in John 14 too, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And in verse 12 of 14 says, I'm going to the Father. So Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place. I'm going to the Father. And then verse 16 says, the Father is going to give you another helper. And in verse 21, he says, whoever keeps my commands, my Father and I will will love you and will manifest, I will manifest myself to him or make myself known to him. And then verse 23, he says, we will come and make our home with him. So within the believer, Jesus says, we are coming to dwell within you. This kind of has blasts back to Genesis 1, where God says, let us make man in our image and in, in our likeness. So we see this plurality of God in three persons. The Holy Spirit is fully God just like God, and he says, we will abide, we will make our home in your heart. Now, I'm going to jump all the way to my third point and, and say something, and then I, and I'll come back to that a little bit later. But if God is a person, and God is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and the Holy Spirit is a, is a person, and we want to receive the indwelling Holy Spirit, how do we do that? How do we receive the Holy Spirit? Now, this is where the preacher's away. I could go really dangerous on this, right? I could get myself in a whole lot of trouble for Brian to have to clean up next Sunday, but I'm not going to do that. Um, when I was involved in that church that I mentioned earlier, there was a leader in the church who hosted Saturday morning Holy Spirit workshops. And I never went because I, I heard what they were like. And they would, everybody would gather together in a room, those who wanted to receive the Holy Spirit. And, I, and this is not a joke. Angela, actually, my wife dated the guy's son. Um, <laughs> true story. Sorry, I didn't mean to throw you under the bus. Um, but at these workshops on Saturday morning, they would go, gather in a dimly lit room and everybody would lay on the floor and there would be worship music playing and they would begin to chant. And I am not, I like seriously, like, it sounds crazy. I'm not making it up. And they would begin chanting, and this was the chant. I tie my tie, see you tie my bow tie. Yeah. And they would begin chanting, sometimes for up to hours, chanting, I tie my tie, see you tie my bow tie. I tie my tie, see you tie my bow tie. And then eventually, the concept was that the Holy Spirit would come upon you and begin speaking in tongues. The core problem with this is that it fails to recognize that, one, God's not a genie that you rub the lamp and out he comes. But the other thing it fails to recognize is that if the Holy Spirit is a person, the way you invite a person into your life has nothing to do with chanting a mantra. We just had a house guest who visited with us. You know how we, how we got ready for our house guest? We cleaned up a room. We made a bed. We had linens, we had food, we gave her directions to our home, and she came. And she stayed in our home for a couple of days. And we entertained her, and we spent time with her, we went and did things, we showed her around town, drove around, looked at all the trees that grow on the road, she was fascinated by that. And we spent time with her, quality time. And then she left. If we recognize that the Holy Spirit is a person, then 
we take in the Holy Spirit in the same way that we take a person in many respects. Jesus says in John 14, and it seems sort of out of place, but it's actually not. He says, if you love me, you keep my commands and the Father will send you the Holy Spirit. There's a relational component that has to happen in order for us to receive the Holy Spirit. We love God. We live into this life that God has called. And Jesus says, and the, and the Father will send the Holy Spirit. He knows the address. You don't even have to give him the GPS coordinates. But we enter into this relationship, and it's, it's key. It's fundamental to understand who the Holy Spirit is in order for us to get to the third question is how to receive the Holy Spirit. So... Next, we get to this next thing, is, is what does the Holy Spirit do? So if that's who the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is God, and the Holy Spirit is a person, Jesus says both of those things very clearly, then what does the Holy Spirit do? Because honestly, maybe I don't want the Holy Spirit. Maybe, maybe I'm not really interested. Like, you ever have a house guest you really don't want to show up? Yes? You turn off the lights? Oh no, it's those people. Turn off the lights, hide in the back. Don't answer the door. I hear you in there. No, you don't. And I think for some of us, we think that way about the Holy Spirit. I'm not really sure about this Holy Spirit stuff. Haven't really been taught. Not really interested. Seems a little weird. I know churches that talk about the Holy Spirit. That's kooky. I don't understand it. Not interested. Don't come to my house. But if we actually understand who the Holy Spirit is and we understand what the Holy Spirit does, I think we will have a radically different mindset on this. Jesus says three things about who the Holy Spirit is, and the first two are closely linked together. He says the Holy Spirit is our teacher, the Holy Spirit is our power, and the Holy Spirit is our helper. And that third one is significant. Can't wait to get to it. We understand, I, I, I think if you go up to the average Christian, you ask him, who's God the Father? They will be able to tell you. God, God the Father is the creator and sustainer of life. Boom, easy answer. Who's Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is the Son of God, sent to earth, lived a sinless life, went to the cross, paid the penalty for our sin, resurrected from the dead, defeating sin and death. We got that. Who's the Holy Spirit? Uh, I mean, uh, um, yeah, like it's weird. The average Christian cannot give you near of a clear answer of who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does like they can the Father and the Son. It's often referred to as the neglected person of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit, Jesus says, is our teacher in John 14, 17. Jesus says he is the spirit of truth. He reveals truth. In John 14, verse 26, as I read, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. In chapter 16, verses 12 through 15, Jesus says, I still have many things I need to say to you. You can't bear them right now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all that truth. He will not only speak of his, he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come and he will glorify me. And how? Because he's, he's going to glorify me by taking what is mine and declaring it to you. All of the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said, he will take what is mine and he will declare to you. So what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit declares. He proclaims. He glorifies God by teaching you the truth of, what, of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. So he has this very distinct role in teaching. We see this elsewhere in Scripture in 2 Peter 1, um, verse 21. Paul says, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried on along by the Holy Spirit. So the fact that we have this word of God, it came to us 
through the work of the Holy Spirit. If you go to the book of Ephesians chapter 6, we get to the putting on the full armor of God. Do you remember what the sword is? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We see this, in, this very close link between Jesus, excuse me, between the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is the, this teacher of truth, this one who is convicting the world of sin and righteousness. Jesus says in 16, chapter 16 of John, verse 8, he says, the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts the world of righteousness. He's the one who reveals to the men's hearts what's, what's going on. And, and Paul says in 2 Corinthians, God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that's doing that. So the Holy Spirit is our teacher. The Holy Spirit is not only our teacher. We also see in Acts 1.8, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power from this Holy Spirit. And because of that power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You're going to have power to be able to open your mouth and share the gospel with people, not because of anything you've done, but because of the Holy Spirit working in you, giving you this power. Jesus says the, the Spirit gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. It is the spirit who brings life, who brings power, who makes this word come alive in us. It's not some, like, like, I don't know about you, but have you ever been to this place where, like, you're reading the Bible, and it's just like gravel in your mouth? I, I don't know how a better, that's what, it, some, I, I've been there many times in my life, where I'm reading God's word. You ever, okay, the reason why I say gravel in my mouth, um, I was a Boy Scout, and we used to cook on an open campfire, and inevitably that tenderfoot would come running by and kick sand. You know? You know what I'm talking about? And then you go to eat that hamburger later, and it just doesn't, it, the, the sand, that gravelly taste between your, or feel between your teeth. And, and sometimes God's word feels like that to me. But, but then there are other times where I'm reading God's word, and it just becomes, it, like, I literally will start weeping just reading God's word, and it just, like, it's like it just blooms. It comes alive, and I don't have any understanding of why it does that. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who, who makes the word dwell in me richly, as Paul would say, and makes this somehow like way more fantastic than it ever would be just in my mind. And it's the Holy Spirit helps me to comprehend it. And it's the Holy Spirit who then makes those words of life become words of life out of my mouth to share the gospel with somebody. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And then, but, but the, the greatest piece is when Jesus says, and you see this in John 14, 16, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you a counselor. I'm just curious, do you have a different translation? I'm using the English standard version. Do you have a different translation that has a different word other than counselor? An advocate. There's another word. King James uses the word comforter. Interestingly, this word in the original language, we don't have a good English word for it. Is Jesus saying the Holy Spirit is our comforter, our counselor, our advocate? Yes. He absolutely is. But the word here is actually has this dynamic picture of a courtroom. And the person that Jesus is describing the Holy Spirit is like, is like the person who stands next to you and speaks on your behalf. Like a lawyer in your defense. 
But we know, we'll see this in a minute, Jesus is the one who's advocating for us in the throne room of heaven. The Holy Spirit is advocating for us, counseling, comforting within us. So who is the Holy Spirit advocating toward within us? We don't get a beautifully clear picture of that in scripture, but my best understanding from God's word is that the Holy Spirit is actually advocating for us to us. Here's the idea. You struggle with sin. And you think to yourself, I've been stuck in this sin for 10 years now, 20 years, 30 years. If I were God, I'd give up on me by now. You've gone to God so many times and asked for forgiveness and help with that, but here you are right back at it again. And you condemn yourself. And you say, maybe I'm not really Christian. And you say, God doesn't really love me. If God were in my life, he would have helped me with this by now. And the Holy Spirit says, Christ died for that sin. And God absolutely loves you. And Jesus, the word of God says, ever lives to make intercession to the Father on your behalf. And so Jesus is standing in the throne room of heaven and the Holy Spirit is standing in the throne room of your heart and Jesus is saying to God the Father who absolutely must condemn and punish sin and Jesus is saying, I paid the penalty for her sin, for his sin. And the Holy Spirit is saying, Jesus Christ paid the penalty for that. You need to surrender it. But God is not done with you. Your faith is not in vain. Don't stop running the race. Keep going. Remember, God's word says that his word will not return void. It's going to continue to be alive in you by the work of the Holy Spirit. And he who began that good work in you, he ain't giving up. He's going to continue to do that good work until the day of completion. And Paul says the Spirit, in Romans 8, he says, the Spirit bears witness that we are the children of God and we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And the Spirit reminds you, you are not this. You're a child of God. Child of God, live like it. You're an heir of Christ. You're a co-heir with Christ. You, you, don't, you don't have to keep going this route. And the Holy Spirit as your advocate is arguing against your own wickedness for you to live for God. In 1 John, John says, and when our hearts condemn us, because that's what our hearts do sometimes, God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. So this Holy Spirit, this advocate, this counselor, this comforter, he's way better in terms of counselor, he's way better than a camp counselor. You don't go for a week to see the Holy Spirit and then, all right, you go back home. Good luck. Have a nice day. See you next year. It's better than a counselor that you go to for marriage counseling because, one, he actually knows how to help you. And I'm not saying marriage counselors don't, but, you know, I've been to a few. And um, some are helpful. He actually knows all things. He knows your heart. He doesn't charge you $100 an hour. He's way better than that. And he's better than any lawyer 
because he knows exactly what you need to hear to be convinced of the truth that's going to give you life, eternal and abundant life today. And I love what James says. James says he yearns, that God yearns jealousy over the spirit that he made to dwell within you. That God loves and and desires to be in relationship with that spirit who's arguing and and advocating and defending and and consoling you and comforting you. And, And I don't know about you, but the picture I get as I consider this truth of who the Holy Spirit is, I get this picture that God must really think way more about me than I sometimes think about myself. Because I want to give up on me sometimes. Like if I, I, for the longest time, used to think that if, if, if people really knew me, they wouldn't like me. Because I knew my heart. And I would, I would think I must be the absolute worst human being on the face of the planet. And and the Holy Spirit says, no, I, I absolutely love you. And Jesus Christ died for, for your sin. And, and I'm going to be your advocate. And I'm going to be your friend. I'm going to be your counselor. I'm going to be your comforter. He's like that friend when you are down in the dirt. And, and the addictions are destroying you. And you cannot seem to break free of whatever it is you're stuck in. And he's that friend who's like, oh, no, you're getting up. We're not going to go down this road. We're not staying here. I'm, I'm going to fight for you, and I'm going to pick you up, and we're going to get you headed back in the right direction. I mean, I stood in a guy's house one day. He called me up, and he was drunk off his rear end, and he calls me up, and he's like, I don't know what to do. And I went to his house. I said, we'll start. We're going to dump all this down the drain. He's like, I just spent hundreds of dollars. I'm like, and it's going down the toilet. Because that's what, a, that's what a comforter, an advocate, a real friend does, and that's what the Holy Spirit does for us, right? He, he's like, no, 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 we're not staying here. I'm advocating for you. I'm comforting you. I'm counseling you. It may not always be comfortable, but it's good. It really is. So then my biggest question I think we have to end with is how can I have this Holy Spirit? How can I have the Holy Spirit? Well, I kind of tipped my hand on that already, didn't I? Well, I think the key to having the Holy Spirit actually goes back to, points to, not The Holy Spirit is our comforter, but our first comforter, our first advocate. As I said earlier, in 1 John 2, verse 1, Jesus says, or John says this about Jesus, my dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. Interestingly, Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as our advocate. John here writes this. He says, So we have this advocate before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. So in a sense, we have two advocates. One God, two persons, three persons, but two of them described as our advocate in Scripture. And he stands before God in heaven, and he doesn't look at you and say, worthless, ridiculous hopeless. He looks at you and he says, forgiven. He looks at Easter and he says, I paid the price. And God says, the sin must be punished. And our advocate, Jesus says, as I was breathing my last breath, I was surrendering my life for that sin. And I love him. I love her. They're my own. They're my child. 
This week, um, I was with a gentleman who was breathing his, literally his last breaths before he died. And uh, I, I never knew him. Um, his niece says to me, strange thing this week. He says, my uncle was this near-perfect man. He was Catholic. And he said there were only two things he wanted before he died. He wanted solid food one last time. And he wanted a priest to come so he could confess his sins to the priest. And then she says this thing. She says, which is really odd to me because I don't think my uncle ever sinned. So I don't know why he would ever need to have a priest to confess his sins to. I'm a real straight shooter. I said, well, I believe in the Bible. And the Bible tells us that we all sin. We all fall short of God's glory. None of us get it right. And she just went, hmm. It was the end of that part of that conversation. You wanted something better, right? That's where it ended. I hope she's really chewing on that today. But when Jesus goes to the cross and he dies for our sins, he knows we're sinners. And he knows everything about us now. And he advocates for us before God. And the Holy Spirit is in your heart advocating. And, and Jesus, as Hebrews says, ever lives to make intercession for us. And so God looks at you and doesn't say, oh, what, an, what a moral failure. He says, forgiven. And Jesus says, I pay the penalty and the Holy Spirit says, remember what Jesus did for you? Remember what Jesus said? And so how do I have the Holy Spirit? Well, it starts by me surrendering to Jesus Christ and saying, God, I, I'm a sinner and I'm broken. And sometimes I don't know how to get unbroken. I never, know how to seem to, never seem to know how to get unbroken. And Jesus goes, I got this. I got this. And we surrender to him. And, and Jesus says, if you love me, the Father will give you my spirit. In John 16, Jesus says, I'm going to send them to you. I love in Acts, Acts 1 and 2 in particular, Jesus tells his disciples, just wait for the Holy Spirit. And they did. And, then, and what were they doing while they were waiting? They were devoting themselves to prayer in the upper room. And what do we read in chapter 2, verse 4? They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And a little bit further in Acts chapter 2, Peter's preaching to these, this group of unbelievers. And he says, here's what you guys need to do. Repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. It's this almost like passive thing where all, my active part is to surrender to Christ, and God does this work of sending the Holy Spirit to me. I don't have to lay on a floor and chant. I can surrender and receive this beautiful gift of love and compassion that God sends but he doesn't bully his way in. He doesn't sneak in the back door. He lovingly comes and enters in and abides with us. Now, what I'm not spending time on this morning is talking about living this surrendered life whereby we, we make room for the Holy Spirit to take up full residence. And I think there's, there's a whole, that's a whole sermon in and of itself. But for the sake of this morning... My question to you is, one, do you know who the Holy Spirit is? He is God. He is a person. 
Do you know what he's doing and wants to do in your life? He wants to teach you the things of God and make God's word come alive to you in a transformative way. He wants to give you power for witnessing and for holy living. He wants to comfort and advocate for you when your heart is condemning you. And if you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he's already abiding within you. And if you haven't, Jesus' invitation is very clear. Come unto me. I'll give you rest. And I think a lot of times that rest has to do with rest from our weariness over fighting sin and letting Jesus do this amazing work in us. Maybe this morning you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, and today you need to surrender your life to him. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, and the Holy Spirit's kind of fallen by the wayside, haven't been in the Word lately, not experiencing a whole lot of power in your witness and holy living. Maybe it's time to say, Holy Spirit, I, I know you're in me, and I know you've been advocating for me, and I probably haven't been listening. I want to hear again, and I want you to set my heart on fire for God and for living for God, and I want you to equip me and use me, thinking I need you to work in me. Help me to hear it. I want to pray for us. Heavenly